and welcome to the Narrow Road Podcast, a place to share the journey of walking with God on the narrow road that leads to life. I hope that you find rest and encouragement here, but above all, the awareness that you're not alone on the way. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Narrow Road Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Bowyer, and it's my pleasure to be back with you for another episode. Well, you know, we're continuing our little Bible study right now in the book of Galatians. We're at the last half of the Galatians chapter 4 today. Um, I like how this podcast is sort of become a bit of a Bible study and a bit of devotional. Sort of some podcast episodes seem more on the devotional side, contemplative, um, maybe even a bit introspective at times, and then other aspects of the podcast, um, our entire series on books of the Bible and become some kind of a Bible study. So hope you're not getting any kind of whiplash going back and forth week by week in different sort of aspects of this podcast. But hey, you know, when you're podcasting for 365 days and it's not the only thing you have going on in your life. <laughs> you just have to be a little bit fluid and kind of like roll with the spirit and see what comes of it. So yeah, if you've stuck with me since the beginning, or maybe you've joined the podcast somewhere in the middles um, since we've started, because we're almost at episode 100, which is crazy. Not exactly a third of the way through this 365 day journey, but nearly there. But no matter where you've kind of joined in, you probably have already noticed that I kind of swing the pendulum between studying something at length, sort of succinctly, and then other episodes are more just like devotional, like topical, um, and like contemplative, like I say. So yeah, I'm still trying to find my feet. I think I'm gaining more of a rhythm and and, and sort of accepting that this is kind of the way I'm doing podcasting. Um, but yeah, we're just, we're growing. We're doing it together. Um, and I really appreciate each of you who stops by and listens. That being said, we are going to continue, as we started off by saying, the last half of the book of Galatians chapter 4 today. We're going to find that Paul is going to sort of start speaking a little bit in allegory, a little bit in metaphor. He's going to be pulling out a lot of different examples from the Old Testament to illustrate a point he's trying to make of of, you know, the difference between being a son of promise, a son of promise versus a son of the law, of the law. And he's going to illustrate that through the uh, Old Testament, through some Old Testament examples. Um, and then that's going to wrap us up until we get tomorrow to uh, Galatians 5. So it should be a little bit of a shorter reading, although on the nose, it might feel a bit complicated. So we're going to definitely lean into the commentary to see what we can pull from the metaphors that he is speaking with to better illuminate our understanding of the overall feeling that he's trying to get across. We already studied yesterday in the first half of Galatians 4 that we are sons, we are heirs of the promise and all the beauty that goes with being sons of God rather than slaves of the law. Um, and he's really just going to take it to another level as we study today. So let's not waste any more time and go ahead and get into it. All 
Alrighty, reading out of the Amplified Bible per usual, we are starting in Galatians 4 at verse 21. Alright, Paul speaking here. He says, Tell me, you who are bent on being under the law, do you not listen to what the law really says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman Hagar and one by the free woman Sarah. But the child of the slave woman was born according to the flesh and had an ordinary birth, while the son of the free woman was born in fulfillment of the promise. Now these facts are about to be used by me as an allegory. For these women can represent two covenants. One covenant originated from Mount Sinai, where the law was given, that bears children destined for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, that is, the way of faith, represented by Sarah, is free. She is our mother, for it is written in the scriptures, Rejoice, O barren woman who has not given birth! Break forth into a joyful shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. And we, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children, not merely of physical descent like Ishmael, but are children born of promise, born miraculously. But as at that time the child of ordinary birth, born according to the flesh, persecuted the son who was born according to the promise and working of the spirit, so it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for never shall the son of the bondwoman be heir and share the inheritance with the son of the free woman." So then, believers, we who are born again, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose, are not the children of a slave woman. We are not the children of a slave woman, but of the free woman. Okay, so that was a really short little end to chapter 4. I think the I think the messaging is pretty clear there. He's just saying, you know, people who live under the law are slaves. They are not free. They are not heirs to the promise. Um, and people who are born to the free woman or who are born to the new true Jerusalem, the place of total freedom without the law, they are heirs to the promise, right? So he's just really kind of driving that home and he's trying to pull from the Old Testament to show that this concept was already foreshadowed and in a sense prophesied um, thousands of years before it's come to be. But let's take a look at the commentary to see what else we can pull from this that isn't just, you know, overly apparent. Starting with the very beginning where he says, you know, do you guys not understand the law? Like, do you see what it actually says? It says here that Paul writes directly both to those who promoted legalism and to those who succumbed to legalism. He writes to those who desire to be under the law, living under law keeping as the basis for their relationship with God. There are many advantages to being under the law as your principle of relating to God. First, you always have the outward certainty of a list of rules to keep. Second, you can compliment yourself because you keep the rules better than others do. And finally, you can take the credit for your own salvation because you earned it by keeping the list of rules. 
man, we can apply that to ourselves right now, probably. I know I can. Under the law, it is what you do for God that makes you right before him. Under the grace of God, it is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ that makes us right before him. Under the law, the focus is on my performance. Under the grace of God, the focus is on who Jesus is and what he has done. Under the law, we find fig leaves to cover our nakedness. Under the grace of God, we receive the covering one through sacrifice that God provides. Hmm. Paul sensed here that he hadn't made his point yet. After everything he said, he didn't feel he'd made his point yet. So he now approached the matter with another illustration from the Old Testament. Essentially, Paul said, let's have a Bible study. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. Paul took it for granted that his readers knew the Bible. He explains his point from the story of Abraham, Hagar, and Sarah in Genesis 16 without a lot of detail from the story. He assumes that they knew the story. It's important that Paul refer back to the scriptures again and again. The legalists among the Galatians presented themselves as the back to the Bible bunch. Yet Paul will show that they were not handling the Old Testament scriptures correctly. And he will show that a true understanding of the law of Moses will support the true gospel that he preaches. He goes into the story of Abraham who had two sons, one by a bondwoman or a slave and one by a free woman. One was born according to the flesh, and the other was born according to promise. The legalists who troubled the Galatians protested that they were children of Abraham and therefore blessed. Paul will admit they are children of Abraham, but they forget that Abraham had two sons. Abraham's first son was called Ishmael. He was born not from his wife, but from his wife's servant, the bondwoman, who was a misguided surrogate. Uh, It was a mother's scheme to help God when Abraham's wife, Sarah, could not become pregnant. The first contrast that Paul draws between real Christianity and legalism is the contrast between freedom and slavery. One son of Abraham was born by a free woman and one by a bondwoman. The real Christian life is marked by freedom. Ishmael was Abraham's son, but he was the son according to the flesh and unbelief and trying to make your own way before God. It often doesn't look like it, but legalism is living according to the flesh. Ooh. It denies God's promise and tries to make your own way to God through the law. This is living like a descendant of Abraham, but it is living like Ishmael. Let me say that again. This is living like a descendant of Abraham, but it is living like Ishmael. I think they mean to say this isn't living like a descendant of Abraham. Oh, no, no, no. I see what they mean. It is living like a descendant of Abraham, but it's Ishmael, his descendant. Okay, sorry. I don't know why that confused me, but it really did. (laughs) Legalism does not mean the setting of spiritual standards. It means worshiping these standards and thinking we are spiritual because we obey them. It also means judging other believers on the basis of these standards. Spurgeon says the better legalist a man is, the more sure he is of being damned. The more holy a man is, if he trusts to his works, the more he may rest assured of his own final rejection and eternal portion with the Pharisees. Hmm. 
Abraham's second son, however, was named Isaac. He was born miraculously through Abraham's wife, Sarah, the free woman. Isaac was Abraham's son, and he was the son of God's promise and faith and God's miracle for Abraham. The second contrast that Paul draws between Christianity and legalism is the contrast between a work done by God's promised miracle and a work done by the flesh. The real Christian life is connected to God's promised miracle and not the flesh. In verses 24 through 27, he goes into his allegory here where he says that these births represent two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, and then that was Hagar. And then the other is the birth of the free child from the mother who was free. And then he quotes this scripture from the Old Testament. It says, Rejoice, O barren woman, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she, ha- they, she who has a husband. Paul wanted it understood that he used pictures from the Old Testament. His reference to Hagar and Ishmael were pictures meant to illustrate his point. Now he would bring in another picture. Paul was clearly guided by the Holy Spirit here. For us, we must be careful about reading allegorical or symbolic things into the scriptures. Scripture, they say, is fertile and thus bears multiple meanings. I acknowledge that scripture is the most rich and inexhaustible fount of all wisdom, but I deny that its fertility consists in the various meanings which anyone may fasten to it at his pleasure. Let us know then that the true meaning of scripture is the natural and simple one, and let us embrace and hold it resolutely." That was John Calvin. In the Bible, a covenant is a contract that sets the rules for our relationship with God. Paul brought it right down to the issues confronting the Galatian Christians. The legalists wanted them to relate to God under one set of rules, and Paul wanted them to relate to God under the rules presented by the gospel. One covenant is associated with Mount Sinai, the place where Moses received the law. And the other covenant is associated with Jerusalem, with Mount Zion, but not the Mount Zion of this earth. Instead, it's associated with the Jerusalem above, God's new Jerusalem in heaven. Paul emphasizes that Jerusalem is free, the new Jerusalem. He will now tell us more about the covenant represented by the heavenly Jerusalem. That covenant brings freedom. It is free. It's free because it recognizes that Jesus paid the price and we don't have to pay it ourselves. And then it says that Sarah is the mother of us all. This covenant has many children. It is the mother of us all. Every Christian through the centuries belongs to this new covenant, the covenant of the heavenly Jerusalem. And every birth under this covenant is a miracle, like the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah 54, 1, that says, Rejoice, O barren woman, you who do not bear. Everyone is born because of a miracle by God. Hmm. That's so, so, so good. Finally here, we see Paul um, contrasting two systems. So he says, Isaac was born as a child of promise, but he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. Even so, it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. 
So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. As Christians, we don't identify with Ishmael. We identify with Isaac as children of a promise that was, that was received by faith. Ishmael and his descendants persecuted Isaac and his descendants. So we should not be surprised that the modern day people who follow God in the flesh persecute those who follow God in faith through the promise. The fifth contrast Paul draws between Christianity and legalism is the contrast between persecuted and persecuting. The legalists, represented by Ishmael, have always persecuted true Christianity, represented by Isaac. As we walk in the glory and the freedom and the miraculous power of this new covenant, we should expect to be mistreated by those who do not. There is no specific mention of Ishmael persecuting Isaac, though Genesis 21.9 says that Ishmael did mock Isaac. Paul may be referring to this mocking. He may be recalling a Jewish tradition, or he may be adding something by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we didn't know before. The persecution Christians face will not always be by the world, but also and indeed more often by their half-brothers, the unbelieving but religious people in the nominal church. This is the lesson of history. Today, the greatest enemies of the believing church are found among the members of the unbelieving church, the greatest opposition emanating from pulpits and church hierarchies. But the answer to this problem is clear, though not easy. We must cast out the bondwoman and her son. Law and grace cannot live together as principles for our Christian life. Hagar and Sarah could not live together in the same house, according to Genesis 21. We could argue all day long whose fault it was, but that isn't the point. The point is that God told Abraham to send Hagar away. So also every Christian must send away the idea of relating to God on the principle of law, the principle of what we do for him instead of what he has done for us and Jesus. Significantly, Sarah could live with Hagar and Ishmael until the son of promise was born. But once Isaac was born, then Hagar and Ishmael had to go. In the same way, a person could relate to the law one way before the promise of the gospel was made clear in Jesus Christ. But now that it has been made clear, there is nothing to do but cast out the bondwoman and her son. Ishmael was not necessarily a bad man or a cursed man. But neither was he blessed with the promise of inheriting the glorious covenant of God given to Abraham and his descendants. That was the inheritance of one heir, Isaac, the son of the free woman. The sixth contrast Paul draws between Christianity and legalism is the contrast between inheriting all and inheriting nothing. While the Isaacs of this world may be persecuted, they also have a glorious inheritance that the Ishmaels of this world will never know. We are heirs of God through the principle of grace and not works. For Paul, one of the greatest issues in this was freedom. He knew the bondage of trying to earn his own way before God because he lived that way for decades. Now he knew the freedom of living as a son of God, free in Jesus Christ. Barclay makes the point that anyone who makes law central is in the position of a slave all his life he is seeking to satisfy his master, the law. But when grace is central, the person who has made love his dominant principle, it will be the power of love and not the constraint of law that keeps us right. And love is always more powerful than law. Mm -mm. 
Amen. It's so, 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 so good. So good. Yeah. Well, that is the end of chapter four for us today. Um, I really, really love so many things that was actually pulled out of that. So I really appreciate um, reading bits and pieces here from the commentary to supplement um, our understanding because I took I took it at face value, but there was actually so many different contrasts that it pulls out just through one or two lines that I could have easily not seen and appreciated for the depth of revelation that they carried. So uh, I always appreciate coming back to this um, enduring word commentary. So highly recommend that this be a source of personal study for yourself to supplement your understanding as you continue on. So join us tomorrow and we are going to go deeper into the book of Galatians, going into chapter five and seeing what the Lord has for us there as we continue in our journey of understanding the difference between being under the law and under freedom, the freedom of Christ. It's really not even under freedom, it's in freedom. We are in freedom in Christ. And to take a moment and to to ultimately look at our lives and see where are we holding ourselves captive? Where are we condemning ourselves? Where are we creating a law on ourselves? I love that very first paragraph. I just want to go back and reread it because this is this is the crux of, of my motivation in reading Galatians is to see where in my life I am doing these things that I'm about to reread so that I can stop that. Because without sort of looking, I can't understand where I'm actually bringing the law into my life. You know, you don't have to be sort of celebrating specific holidays and acknowledging certain Jewish rituals to be under the law, right? uh, Being under law or outside of grace and freedom in Jesus can look a lot of ways. But you'll know that you're operating under some form of man-made law if it looks like this. Um, First, you always have the outward certainty of a list of rules to keep. You might be under the law if you are keeping a list of rules. Second, you compliment yourself because you keep these rules better than others do. And third, you take the credit for your own salvation because you earned it by keeping a list of rules. Does any of that sound like you? <laughs> um, if it does, there's grace and there's freedom from it. And hopefully Galatians is going to make you disgusted at the idea of living in such a way where you are ultimately taking credit for your own salvation. I mean, you're you're obviously lying to yourself to believe that, but... If you are on that path, Galatians is here to get you off of it (laughs) and to show you that Jesus is the point. He's the point. It's not about what you can do before God. It's what he's already done. It's what he's already done. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Narrow Road Podcast. We'll be back to go even deeper into this concept tomorrow, so please join us there as we continue 365 days of podcasting. Thank you so much for listening, and bye-bye.